Welcome to the Men's Bible Study Podcast. In this episode, Pastor John Mark Caton continues a series entitled, A Man's Handbook. Pastor John Mark teaches from 1 Peter 2, 8 through 10, and showcases four different identities of who we are in Christ. Now let's hear from John Mark. All right, good seeing you guys this morning. I want to invite you to reach and grab your copy of God's Word and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 as we uh, continue in our series uh, entitled A Man's Handbook. And as we think today about a man's handbook, uh, a lot of times we focus, and we should, rightly, because the way God created us and the way God put us together, uh, we talk a lot about what we should do. Uh, but today, before we even talk about what we should do, I want to make sure uh, that as a child of God, as a man of God, that we know who we are. And so that's really what we're going to talk about today. Before we even talk about what we're going to do, I want to make sure every one of us knows who we are. We find this in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, where Peter is beginning to talk to men, the men that uh, he ministers to, in verse 9 and 10. And so let me just open it up by reading it. Here's what it says. We're going to put it on the screen. It says, But you are a chosen people. Uh, your translation, your preferred translation, might instead of um, that word people, translate that generation. You are a chosen generation. He says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That, listen to this, you may, here's what we do, declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Then look at verse 10. He says, once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, the good news about uh, this passage is it says every one of us. Man, there's something special about every one of us. Regardless of where you grew up or how you grew up, regardless of how long it took you to come to faith, whether you've come to faith or not, uh, regardless of your habits that linger in your life, there is something significant about you. Do you realize that, guys? Everybody in here, raise your hand right now. I realize there is something significant about me. Now, my guess is some of you in your mind, because of perhaps what you've done or, or, or the family environment that you grew up, there perhaps is someone online or in this room or, or listening later on the podcast that you feel rather insignificant in your life. Or perhaps you feel rather unremarkable in your life. Peter steps out for every dude in this room and says, you are, in fact, remarkable. You are, in fact, significant, regardless of who you are. I love what he says. We're going to break these down a little bit more. He says, you are a chosen generation. Whatever generation you're in, you're a chosen generation. Now, I just look across the room. How many of you know we got lots of different generations represented in this room? You look online, the same thing. Uh, how many of you know from time to time we have generation wars, right? Uh, you know, you have, uh, you have the, the boomers and the busters and the millennials and somebody's busting on someone else. And now you have the Gen Y and the Gen Z and, and just the messed up generation. Which one's the messed up generation? I don't know what that is. And we all have these generation wars, you know, and, they'll, uh, and the wars always are stated. Maybe if it's not a war, maybe it's a statement. You know, kids these days, kids these days, how many of you ever heard that or made that statement? How many of you ever made that statement? 
How many of you have at least heard that statement? How many of you know, regardless of the generation you're in, the generation before you said the exact same thing about your generation? Kids these days, right? Kids these days. But here's what Peter says. He says, listen, regardless of what generation you're in, it's not about a generation war. He says, you're a chosen generation. But he doesn't stop there. And listen to this. You are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priest. Dude, look around the room. How much royalty do you see in this room? At Cottonwood Creek, for 26 and a half years, we have mastered the art of not reaching the royals. Just look around the room. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We reach anything but royals, and, and we don't. But here's the cool thing. You can now finally, if you are a granddad, you can go right now knowing this with all integrity, character, truthfulness, and honor. If you have a grandkid, men, you can go now, look at your granddaughter and call her princess. And that's who she is. Because if you're in the faith, you're a royal priesthood. You can call her princess and you can mean it. You can look at your grandson and call him a little prince. And you can mean it. So guys, it's really important when we are in this study right now, this series right now called A Man's Handbook, that we would know who we are. You know, as you think about generations, just think about that idea of generations. You're a chosen generation. You know, with age, the task and responsibility of each generation changes over time. Do we understand that? When, when we think about the generations in our own life, right? Um, I grew up with my mom, who is now 87, cooking every meal. We almost never left the house to go out to eat. How many, did anybody else grow up in a house like that? My mom cooked every night, every lunch, every breakfast, everything was cooked. That's what she did. And then, then even as we got married and, and Gene and I and the family, we would travel down to Houston for Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. And uh, my father passed away when I was in college. My mom still cooked for all of us. But guess what? The, the roles of the generations have changed. Now about the only thing my mom cooks is my favorite chocolate marble cake. Or banana pudding. Or something called purple stuff. I might introduce y'all to that some other time. And guess what? It's our job now to go down there and cook. Why? Because the roles of the generation change. It's the same way in church, guys. That man, the, the men, maybe when you were young, you were the servants, you were the leaders, you were the workhorses, you were the ones that went down to Chiapas and you built stuff and you put houses together and you went on things. And now as your generation is older, that's not you. You are no longer the labor force. You are providing through resources for God's kingdom. But you are still a chosen generation. God is now choosing you just to do something different. Because knowing who I am drives what I should do. And I love that, a chosen generation. So God, whatever you, whatever age you are right now, 
you're part of the chosen generation. And your generation has something to do for God's kingdom. Your generation has something to do in God's kingdom. However young you are, however old you are, God's got a plan for you in your space right now. And it's not a menial task. How do I know it's not a menial task? Because he says, you're a royal priesthood. Let me tell you what, kings and queens don't do menial tasks, do they? You might think it's a menial task, but it's not. When it's part of the kingdom, it's a royal responsibility. It is a royal opportunity for you and I to take who we are and apply it how God wants to use us. And so men in this room, I want you to know that part of being royalty is there are royal duties. Now, did anybody grow up in a king or queen's house? No? No? Uh, while they may not have done many menial tasks, but if you do studies, if you look at it, if you read it, how many of you know there are always royal tasks that they have to do, Right? Doesn't matter if you're the prince or if you're a future queen or, or whatever. They, they actually have things they have to do each and every day. They have, they have things they have to do. Now, they have servants that make it all happen, the little stuff, right? But they have things to do. That's how they train them up. And so for us, we need to understand that part of being part of royalty in God's kingdom means there's something for each and every one of us to do each and every day, each and every Sunday. And so if you aren't doing something here at the church, if you're not doing something in God's kingdom each and every week, you are missing the opportunity to apply your royalty to people who need the gospel. I'm going to say that again. If you aren't doing something each and every week here at Cottonwood Creek, you are missing an opportunity to apply your royalty to people who need the gospel. And so that's what Peter is saying. Men, we need to step up. And not only do, but first know who we are. And I love what he says. He says, you once were not a people, but now all of a sudden you are a people. Hey, look around the room. Just, just really look around right now. Uh, good news, bad news. That's your people. Yeah, that's kind of shocking. Those are your people. This ragtag, hodgepodge, goofball group of dudes. This is your royal family, guys. This is your royal family. That you get to eat with, love with, grow with, study God's word with, fail with, succeed with. Man, and what Peter is saying is, guys, we need to come together. As a generation for God, as a royal priesthood, and do what God has called us to do. I don't know what it is it's going to take to, to bring you together. It might take some adversity. It might take some difficulty. We are kind of wondering, hey, what's, going, what's fixing to happen with this war, right? Uh, man, it, it, we're all still kind of shocked that, man, what's going on? You know, if you think of it um, abstractly, you're like, How's Ukraine still holding up, right? Don't you kind of think that? My guess is Putin's thinking the exact same thing. And then you're thinking, okay, 
Now Putin's got himself into a, pro himself into a problem. How far, how far is he going to take this thing? Because here's what we do know, right? Somehow, someway, he's going to save face, right? So how far is he going to take this? I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe it's some, ad, uh, some adversarial situation that really is going to pull us together. But the best thing we can do right now is band together as a brother of men and say, these are my people. This is my place. And we are going to serve together. And we're going to love God together. And I'm going to understand that, yes, my spiritual walk, it is upward. It is inward. But it's also outward. It's not just one of those. Let me tell you what, there's no place in Scripture where we are told that a man's spiritual journey is only between him and God. It's not just upward. It is upward. But it's also not just inward. There's no place in God's Word where we are told, you know, when someone asks you about your faith, you say, that's just between me and God. It's just kind of in there. No, it's, it, it's not just upward. It's not just inward. It's also outward. When I think about over the years, as, as I've made and I've grown, uh, there have been times where, where something's happened in my life, later in my life as I've grown in my spiritual walk, and instead of me doing this, instead of my, me, my responding in my natural reaction, I respond in a biblical way. And sometimes Gina will look at me and go, whoa, that's pretty good. And I look at her and say, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I just remember a whole bunch of other times when you did not respond that way. How many of us understand that? <laughs> and every once in a while, my wife, because you, you know I pick on her every Sunday morning, she loves to tweak, turn the knife just a little bit. She'll say something like, after all these years of pastoring, it's finally sinking in. <laughs> what is she saying? This isn't just about me and him. It is just about, it starts with me and him. That's how I become a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look around you. They're your people. They're holy. You're saying, that's ridiculous. And absolutely. But Gina will look at me and she goes, finally sinking in. What does it mean it's finally sinking in? That means after it's been this way and now it's worked around in here, this is starting to work out. And how I respond and how I react, instead of me acting and reacting naturally, I act and react, react biblically. So many times I've failed at it. I've messed it up. I've dropped the ball. And then he says, man, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Man, guys, when we walk through the halls on these Tuesday morning, when you look up on Zoom and you see some of those guys sitting there looking in, you need to walk in here and go, those are my people. Those are my people. With all their flaws, with all your failures, with all the mistakes, with all this, with all that, and you need to look at them and go, I don't get it, but he's holy. He's my people.
He's holy. And then you also ought to be saying, we've got work to do. We've got a call to do. What does he say? I love it. He says that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We've got work to do. Guys, that's who we are. So let me just give you four thoughts from this passage. My prayer is you will write these down. And will, these will change the way you walk. These will change the way you talk. These will change the way you act in every space in your life. And all four of these come right out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Here's thought number one. When we think about God's view of us, what is our true identity as a follower of Christ? I am chosen by God, and I'm accepted in spite of myself. I'm chosen by God, and I'm accepted in spite of myself. Guys, if there is anything in your mind, anything in your thought, that you think somehow God chose you or accepted you because you're pretty good, you just need to eject that thought right now. You're not that good. You're not that good. You're just not that good. And notice what he says. He says, but you are a chosen generation. Man, God chose you not because he looked down at the playground of the world and said, you're my number one choice. I want you on my team. Man, you've, you've got a great leg for kickball or you've got a good arm for baseball. God looked at you and said, you're a mutt, but I'm going to choose you anyway. I want you on my team. And guys, we ought to live with a sense of shock and awe that the God of the universe chose us. And we ought, that ought to call us to live with humility, that God would choose us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Here's what, here's what Paul said to the Ephesian believers. He says, For He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight in love He chose us. Now notice this. God chose us before the creation of the world. So if you ever think, ever, 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 ever think, God chose you because you were pretty awesome, go look at that verse. When did God choose you? Before you ever took a breath. Now, you know, we can also think, think of things a little differently here at Godwood Creek, right? My guess is there's been times that God has looked at me and regretted the choice he made before he created the world. How many of you understand what I said? Right? How many of you say, praise God that he chose me before he got a look at me? Right? Right? And my guess is he has had buyer's remorse over and over and over and over again. He's had chooser's remorse. Man, how many times do you think God looked over at Jesus and said, did we really do that? Did we really do that? But God, guys, what an incredible thought. It's a humbling thought that God didn't choose me because he looked and said, pretty awesome. Praise God, He chose me before I ever did anything good or anything bad. Before the foundation of the world, God looked through eternity and chose you. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 7. 
He says this, He chose us, and this is part of the royal priesthood, the family, look at it, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So He didn't just choose us to be part of His family, which would be cool enough. He didn't just say, you can linger around the house. Instead, God said, I'm going to choose you before the foundation of the world, and I'm going to make you an heir to the throne. I'm going to make you a royal priesthood. And so as you think about this, guys, thought number one, when you think about who you are, I am chosen by God. Not based on what I've done. That ought to challenge us as well, guys. Listen to this. When we think about He chose us before ever did anything before the foundation of the world, that ought to bring humility. And it ought ought to also bring a sense and an understanding that when I begin, begin to be a little bit proud and arrogant of who I am, when I begin to think I'm a little better than other people, and if, and if that thought, you would never let it come out of your mouth, but that thought begins to swirl around in your mind that God's pretty lucky to have me, that you would be reminded, let me tell you what, God chose you before you ever took a breath. And that's probably a real good thing. How many of us understand that? Here's thought number two just from this passage. Thought number two is, man, I'm a prized possession. Notice what he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen generation. Here it is, verse 9, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, just let that sink in. A holy nation. Guys, I, I will tell you, the, the more and more I grow in my walk and my faith, and hopefully this is the same way with you, We don't walk around with the poor, poor, pitiful me mindset. But we do walk around more and more with the mindset of I fall short all the time. But God still declares me holy. Not because of my own righteousness. Not because of my self-righteousness. Not because of all the amazing things I say or do but because God chose to fill in the gaps. Where I fell, God steps in to fix it. You might want to just write that down. Where there's a fissure in my life, God fills in the crack. Where there's a crevice in my moral thoughts or my soul, God fixes it. Where there's a grand canyon between that which I want to do and that which I don't want to do, God's the one that bridges the gap. I'm a holy nation, not because of who I am, but because of what God has done for me. And then notice, followed up, God's special possession. You know, as you think about it, there are a couple of ways you can get a special possession. Sometimes you can inherit it. 
I've got some things of my father's. How many of you have something from your father, your grandfather, that's someone? Sometimes you buy, a spe- how many of you have bought a special possession? How many of you have ever bought something, like at an auction or something like that, and then kind of regretted it later? Anybody hear about uh, the guy that bought Tom Brady's last touchdown football for $500,000? $500,000 for his last touchdown pass, and then he comes back on you? I think Tom's trying to make it right. I think, as my understanding, Tom Brady's trying to make it right. But think about it. Sometimes we have buyer's remorse. My guess is God looks down at you and goes, boy, I paid a little much. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't, you know, when I talk to y'all, y'all, better, y'all hear me. I'm talking to me, right? When God looks down and looks at John Mark, and thinks about how much he paid for me to be a holy nation and one of his special possessions, I cannot think without my humorous mind going off that God says, I pretty much got ripped off. I paid way, 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 way too much for him. You say, how much did God pay? Look at it. I'll put uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 7, verse 23. He says, you were bought with the price. Do not become slaves to human beings. He says, listen, I bought you. And when he says, do not become slaves to human beings, he goes, listen. If you have been bought with a price, if you are God's special possession... Don't let the world rule you. Don't let your bad habits rule you. Don't let Satan boss you around. Don't let your own sinfulness rule you. Don't let your lack of character or or bad... Don't let any of that rule you. He says, you're a child of God. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen generation. Dominate that stuff. Don't let it dominate you. And that's exactly what he's saying. Here's another idea. You say, well, listen, as God's special possession, first of all, it means he paid a high price for me. But the second thing it means is regardless of what's going on in your life, he's going to care for me. You say, where do you see this? Go look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 24. He says, consider the heavens. Uh, Consider the ravens. They do not sow and they do not reap. They have no storeroom or barn, barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? He says, if you are God's special possession, God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Now, see, a lot of times where we struggle with this is, is sometimes, and I've certainly found, that, found this out in my life, God doesn't take care of me the way I think He should take care of me. How many of you have ever had that thought? And the ones that didn't raise their hand, you are lying people. There are times in my life where I've thought, you know, God, you could do a better job of taking care of me. How many of you have kids? Have your kids ever been disappointed in the care that you've taken for them? 
You didn't get them the present they wanted. You didn't give them the thing they wanted. They don't give, you don't give them everything they want. And what? They think you could do a better job. Can I tell you, that's exactly like our relationship with God. There are times that I choose willfully not to do something for my kids because I, hopefully, as the more mature adult, knows it's not good for them. Regardless of how much they whine, regardless of how much they cry, regardless of anything. There are some times where I'm not 100% sure. I don't know that this would hurt them, but it might. So I'm going to choose not to. I can also tell you this. There have been times in my flesh, my kids haven't gotten something from me because I'm just mad at them. Let's be honest, right? Just the answer is no. If we understand that about our kids, God in His perfect knowledge will sometimes look at you and not give you what you want because He knows it's not what you need. And sometimes, listen to this, it's not that He won't ever give you what you want. It's He's not going to give it to you now because He knows it's not what you need now. Does that make sense? So guys, as an understanding, God paid a high price for every dude in this room to make you a chosen generation, a holy nation, a people, a dude, a man for God's own possession. And as God's own possession... He's going to provide for you. Jesus said, look at the ravens of the air. He said, they don't have any barns. They don't sow in the field. But God cares for them. How much more valuable are you to Him? Here's the third thought as you just continue to read. Not only am I chosen by God, I'm His own special possession. Here's an, I'm completely forgiven. If I go back to verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, think about that. You were not a people, now you are a people. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. That means God has completely forgiven us. Man, whatever, whatever regret, whatever guilt, whatever struggle, whatever hurt, whatever you remember in your mind, if you have taken it to God and been forgiven then you're the only person that hadn't forgiven yourself for it. Now, now, step back. That does not mean there won't be consequences. That doesn't mean there won't be consequences on this earth. You could truly ask for forgiveness and regret some of the things you've done in your past, and it may have still destroyed a relationship. How many of you know? It may have still hurt your, hurt, hurt, hurt your kids or hurt your parents or hurt people you know, or man, you've said something and, and it hurts a friend. It divides. There might still be earthly consequences, but God's forgiven us. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, once you become a child of God, we are completely and totally forgiven. I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, therefore, there is now, everybody say now. If you're a child of God, 
And if you have confessed your sins, there is now no condemnation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now. God's taking care of it. There might be consequences on this earth. There might be difficulties in your relationships. There might be other hardships that you experience right now. But here's what you know. God's totally forgiven you. See, a lot of times we think the hardships or the consequences that we go through on this earth are God's punishment for us. Sometimes God allows consequences to come in our life, just like we do with our kids. But sometimes God has already forgiven us. We're just living out. And sometimes we're reaping what we've sowed over the months, over the days, over the years. And you know what? We just got to wait for that harvest. Whatever we sowed three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, sometimes we just got to let that harvest play out, right? That's what, that's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. He says, don't, don't be shocked. God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if we've spent a lot of time sowing some bad words and some bad relationships and some bad thoughts, if you and I change our heart tomorrow, don't forget we are to put the seeds in the ground. Do we understand that? That we've got to understand that the seeds that we sowed are ultimately going to come to harvest. And we've got to deal with those. And they'll show up. And the best thing that you and I can do is understand I'm completely forgiven by God. Then the only thing I can do is today start planting better seed. Guys, write that down. Just because you are forgiven of God doesn't relieve you of the responsibility of planting good seeds in your words, in your relationships, in your actions, in all of those things today. Why? Because if you don't want the same harvest you're getting today in three years, don't be planting the same seeds you planted three years ago. Guys, if you're in a space in your life where the harvest that you are harvesting is a bitter harvest, the only thing you can do is plant better seed. Sometimes we have to harvest what we planted. Do we understand that? Sometime in God's grace, He comes through and takes care of it all. And I love, the, I love those testimonies, by the way. I love it when I see those testimonies, hear those testimonies. I planted this seed, I planted this bad seed, I planted, and God came in and moved away, and sometimes He does it. I will tell you, there's also been times in my life where, sure enough, a year, two, three, four, five years later, the harvest I'm experiencing, I have to be honest that I planted those seeds, right? That's humility, guys. So we need to understand that, that I am completely forgiven regardless of what is going. I love what God, I love what God said to the children of Israel in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with my loving kindness. Jeremiah 31, 3. If you go read the book of Jeremiah... It is all about, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Everybody say weeping prophet. Why? Because the time that he preached to the children of Israel stunk. 
Everywhere he went around, he saw disobedience. He saw idol worship. He saw the enemy finally overthrown. Everything was bad. In the midst of this, God has said, and Jeremiah has said, your sins are this, your sins are this, you haven't worshipped me here, you haven't done this, you deserve nothing. That's all through Jeremiah. And right here, God says, even though you did that, and you did that, and you did this, and you do that, and even though you don't deserve mercy, still, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And here's the fourth thought, here it is, and this is where we're going to close. I have work to do, guys. I have work to do. If I've chosen, if I'm God's special possession, uh, if, in fact, I'm forgiven of everything, here's the work I have to do. Look at it. 1 Peter chapter 2, pick it up in verse 9. He says, you are a royal priesthood, that you would declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. That is your work to do. What do we know? We, we didn't grow up with kings and queens. When I think of what's the royal job, when I think all I can think of is like the UK, right? Is every once in a while they ride down in a carriage or a car or something and they just give this little wave. For all I know, that's all they do, right? Right? Do we know? I, I guess they do other stuff, but we do know they teach, they actually teach them how to wave. You don't, you don't bend your wrist because you don't want to get, I guess, waiver's wrist. I guess that's a thing if you're in the royal family. I guess they have weak wrist. But let me just tell you, nowhere in God's kingdom were we told as men that our job is to ride in a car with someone else driving and wave at the audience and brag about how pretty and privileged we are. Our job is to do this as a royal priesthood that we may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. So if it shocks you that you're a chosen generation, it should. If it shocks you that He calls you a holy nation, it should. It should shock you even more that you're called a royal priest. How many of you thought you'd be called a priest today? How many of you thought you thought it was pretty unlikely that you'd be called a priest today? What does a priest do? Here it is. He goes to God on behalf of the people. He goes to God on behalf of the people. Then he goes to the people on behalf of God. Child of God, as you leave here today, you got work to do. There are going to be people you encounter today who need you to go to God on behalf of them. There are going to be others that you encounter today that you need to go to them on behalf of God. That's who you are. That's who we are. Look around. This is your family. It is a chosen family generation it is a holy nation and we are a royal priesthood let's pray god thank you so much for this day god thank you for the opportunity to come to these men today and just share your grace and your love god as we leave here today let us realize we're chosen for the foundation of the world we're god's special possession we are forgiven in spite of ourselves 
but we have work to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.